The Lord be with you. Now, each of us might name things a little bit differently. Actually, we definitely name things a little bit differently. But a life of faith is a way for us to explore those deep longings that we each have. Longings for renewal, healing, enlightenment, wisdom, holiness, salvation. We church folks use a whole lot of religious language to describe these things. Imagine being a newcomer in a world like this. However we name it, the hope of faith is to be more alive, more connected, free. Maybe you want to be more in touch with your inner self and more engaged with the real needs of the world. Maybe you're seeking answers for the difficult questions of spirit and body and just existence as a person in general. We want some assurance that we're on the right path. But it can be a hard thing to connect our understanding, these difficult ideas about how God works, with what it is to be a person. How do we fit that enormous story of the entire universe into our little lives? All of this happens in the hours and days of living a human life with its routines and its surprises, moments and stages of our days that test our best understanding and challenge all of our assumptions. Sometimes we can describe a moment like this as a crisis of faith. I can think of a time that made me rethink all of my assumptions. I can remember conversations with really vital people. Some of those talks were difficult and heartbreaking. Times of dark reflection brought on by questions and disappointment. One of those times was the aftermath of a particularly excruciating meeting with, this may come as a surprise, church people. And no, it wasn't this church. That painful encounter felt like a challenge to everything that I had come to believe about who God's people were and what we were called to be and who we maybe really were. After that meeting, it was a long walk home. Now maybe you have your own moments, your own crises of faith. Maybe it was that trip to the hospital, or the funeral home, or that day you received the absolutely life-changing news. Maybe you've been disappointed by your own church meetings, failed relationships, unfair outcomes. Maybe it was a really difficult question that you just didn't have a good answer for, any answer for. In moments like these, sometimes it takes everything we have just to cling to the promise that God still loves and sees us. In our story today, Nicodemus was the boy who got all the gold stars in grade school. And then he went on to collect every one of the awards and honors for the whole rest of his life. This is a man who was the top of his classes and who was accustomed to being the smartest person in the room everywhere he went. If you wanted answers or an informed opinion, chances are Nicodemus was your guy. 
a scholar, a man of means, a respected public figure. Even the Greek meaning of Nicodemus' name was a winner, as it translates to people's victory. By most measures of his day, Nicodemus was a real holy man, too. A serious and respectable person, someone who had devoted his life to the scriptures and God's law and the religious life of his community. John's Gospel tells us that the Passover festival in the holy city of Jerusalem was winding down. And Nicodemus was having a spiritual crisis. Always the man with the plan, though. Nicodemus reaches out. In the night and under the cover of darkness, the stealthy intellectual set up a visit with that amazing traveling rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. Did the Pharisee pull up his hood, hide in the shadows and skulk through the alleyways and then up some set of back stairs for his meeting with Jesus? And then he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, and no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. With this opening question, Nicodemus is hoping to harmonize his understanding of how God works and what he has witnessed in the person of Jesus. From one very smart person to another, please make sense of this for me, Jesus. I'm sure this will all fall into place after a little bit of friendly conversation. Won't you help me out with this? He has no idea what he's in for, though. Jesus responds, listen and listen well. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus responds with absolute bewilderment and an embarrassingly literal read on Jesus' image of new birth. How can a grown man be born again and go back inside his mother's womb? Oof. Maybe for the first time in his life, the man who always had the right answers was finally stumped. And this goes on to become a a really awkward exchange. Jesus didn't pat the wise man on the head and tell him how smart he was. Nicodemus didn't get a gold star. Being born from above is a challenging enough idea, and Jesus doesn't go easy on the man. He follows with cryptic and strange responses, a collection of difficult mixed metaphors and images, spirit and wind and water and flesh and light and darkness. Are you following me, Nicodemus? No, not really. If the Son of Man tells you that what he's telling you is super, super important, and even if you listen really, really hard and you still don't understand, where does that leave you? The thing is, some conversations like this take a real long time to sink in. This was the beginning of the reworking of Nicodemus' entire view of the world. This conversation is only the beginning. Jesus even references one of the really crazy stories from the Bible. It's that time when the Hebrew people were plagued by a judgment of venomous snakes. And Moses crafted a brass serpent and lifted it up on a pole as a sort of 
bizarre healing totem to save people's lives. And then he said, the Son of Man will be lifted up like that snake. How can Nicodemus possibly track with this reference to Christ's crucifixion in that conversation? Nicodemus is in over his head, and this did not go as planned for him. The final response to the scholar is, or from the scholar, sorry, is, how can these things be? That's all he's got. How can these things be? We don't get to hear anything else from Nicodemus. Maybe he's speechless for the first time in his life, too. And then Jesus follows up with a final, brutal burn. Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? What was the walk home like for Nicodemus? Questioning, wondering, tugging on his beard and scratching his head as he tried to make sense of this cryptic Messiah and such a strange conversation What a humbling thing, after so many years as an expert, to finally find yourself a beginner. There was a whole lifetime's worth of insights and lessons to be found in this one conversation, and this wasn't going to happen all in one night. These things take time. But this is the beginning of a new thing for the devoted holy man, almost like A fresh start, almost like he's being born again. The start of his unraveling that would lead to his remaking. I do wonder, though, just a speculation, if on that walk walk home, one famous declaration of Jesus stood out. The same verse that's become so famously overused and abused high in the running for one of the most famous in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The rest of the conversation may have been confusing, but God so loved the world is a truly mind-blowing and universal concept. God so loved the world? God loves the world? God loves the world by sending his only son? God loves the whole world? A God who loves the whole world, well, there's a a whole new way of understanding everything. If you're looking at the whole of John's gospel, maybe you're reading through it, this Nicodemus story should probably be read alongside another encounter with Jesus A story that demonstrates the way that Christ meets each of us in the space of our own peculiar life. It's another famous one-on-one conversation with a very different character. A person who begins to flesh out for us what God means when he says he loves the whole world. And you'll have to come back next week for that one. That's the subject of next week's sermon. Friends, many times our questions of faith just lead to more questions. And we find ourselves alongside Nicodemus proclaiming, how can these things be? 
A lifetime of insights and lessons lay ahead of us, and these things take time. Kate Bowler, in her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, distills it all down to this line. What if being people of the gospel meant that we are simply people with good news? God is here. We are loved. It is enough. God is here. We are loved. It is enough. Maybe right now your weary heart needs that simple good news. In this moment or in the weeks ahead, maybe you can already think of ways that this will sustain you with its simplicity and beauty in the places where you serve and work and live in this coming week. We gospel people who make up the global church or community of witnesses proclaiming the ways that God has changed the course of our lives. And along the way, we bring our questions, our misunderstandings. This is simply a part of being such short-lived creatures with so many limitations and biases and blind spots and vanities, yet so much loved by our Creator. Together we celebrate divine love, and grace that is beyond comprehension. After all the questions, all the questions which follow, this is the substance of our faith. Sisters and brothers, God is here. We are loved. It is enough. Thanks be to God.